Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Whether you're a friend of the pod or a new listener, we're really glad you found us. We bring Women Transcend to you free and without advertising every week. If you like the program, one thing you can do to help us out and support Women Transcend is leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Friends, this will really help us. We also encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. And now for today's topic. The term post-truth is not a new one. The terminology has been used in modern dialogue to describe governing politics and cover-ups since the early 1990s. The term post-truth politics has been around since about 2010, when it started to be used to describe political cultures that alienate the art of politics from policy, from governing, or from the legislative process. It has been used frequently since 2016, particularly with regard to the EU referendum or Brexit, and of course the presidential election in the United States. Oxford Dictionaries declared that its international word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. So here we find ourselves in the post-truth era. What do we mean when we say post-truth era or post-truth politics? A writer for the Daily Telegraph summarized that post-truth politics are driven by fabricated rumors. Facts become actually a negative thing. Facts are too pessimistic or even get painted to be unpatriotic, especially when matched up with unrealistically ideal positive campaigns that promise the impossible. In post-truth politics, the improbable becomes irrelevant. Politics that appeal to emotions and adhere to persuasive market-tested talking points are more compelling than fact-based arguments or principles. When political figures are called out on falsehoods, alternative truths, or let's face it, lies, there can actually be a backlash effect whereby those supporting the political figure can push back against what they say are the elites with their fact-based logic and dig in and become even more convinced of the alternative truth. How did we get to this point? Major contributors include the 24-hour news cycle, infotainment, tabloidization of the news, and social media and the internet. We are now able to establish our very own echo chambers where we only receive and share information with like-minded individuals. Information can enter the news stream through this echo chamber and truth becomes almost irrelevant as long as it supports our mutual viewpoint.
My guest today is Gleb Sapersky. Dr. Sapersky is a professor at Ohio State University in the behavioral sciences. He is the president and co-founder of the organization Intentional Insights and is an activist for truth and reason. Welcome to Women Transcend Gleb. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on to talk about what I think a lot of people are thinking about and maybe frustrated about, angry about, is the state of our government and state of discourse and what has happened to truth. And one of the things that you are working on is the pro-truth pledge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we have a big problem in our society that we essentially don't have a way of favoring people who tell the truth or even identifying them and then giving them rewards for telling the truth and identifying people who are not truth-oriented and then punishing those who aren't. Now, I'm a specialist in behavioral science, and behavioral science describes how people react to stimuli, to rewards and incentives, especially reputational ones. So if there is essentially, you know, how companies have a better business bureau that rewards companies who are good businesses and punishes those who aren't, we want to set up a separate, similar thing for public figures who tell the truth and who don't tell the truth. Both identify the people who tell the truth and the ones who don't, and then reward truth tellers and punish liars. So that is the aspiration of the Pro-Truth Pledge Project with the goal of getting everyone, everyone, all private citizens, everyone who's listening to this podcast right now to go to protruthpledge.org if they care about the role of truth in our society and they want to make sure that public figures who tell the truth are identified. So go there and sign up to the Pro-Truth Pledge and the more people get signed up, the more impetus we have for public figures to sign up. Yeah. Is there a, a way to call out figures when they are caught not being truthful? Absolutely. So for folks who are following along with us at protruthpledge.org, you can go to the third frequently asked question, how are pledge takers held accountable? So if we have a public figure, let's say um, you know a congressperson, takes the pro-truth pledge and sticks to the 13 behaviors described in the pro-truth pledge, which research on behavioral science suggests are most likely to lead to truth, stating truth, to truth-seeking behavior. Now, if the person shares a piece of misinformation, and we have specific definitions on what is misinformation, we can talk about that, but if the person says something that's not accurate, then we have volunteers who are part of the Pro-Truth Pledge project. So anyone who goes to the Pro-Truth Pledge can indicate by checking the box that they want to help with the Pro-Truth Pledge. And one of the things they can do in helping is monitor public figures like congresspeople who took the Pro-Truth Pledge. And so if you see a congressperson who takes the Pro-Truth Pledge sharing what you believe is a piece of misinformation, we don't want to play gotcha games. We don't want anything like that. We want the person who is a pro-truth pledge advocate, who is a supporter of the pro-truth pledge and is a volunteer, to privately approach the congressperson or his or her staff and say, hey, can you please clarify the situation? Maybe I misheard you, maybe you misspoke. And if the congressperson, if she retracts the piece of misinformation, that's great. That's wonderful. We celebrate that. Now, if 
that doesn't happen, then it goes further. There's a committee that of vetted volunteers for the pro-truth pledge who evaluate the statement of the congressperson. And if she or he retracts the statement at that point, that's great. If they don't retract the statement after a number of attempts to get them to retract the statement that's incorrect, then that tells us that they intended to deliberately mislead, uh-huh, to lie, yeah. in other words. And that's when the, you know, sort of the claws come out. So that's when, if that happens, that person is put in contempt of the pro-truth pledge. They're listed on the website as being in contempt of the pro-truth pledge. We send a, a media advisory to all the media venues in their district for the congressperson's district. Okay. And we send an action alert to all the people in the congressperson's district who signed the pro-truth pledge. Uh-huh. Ask them to tweet to, to that person, email the person, call the person, meet with the person, protest the person's office, write letters to the director, basically raise a big stink about this person being in contempt of the pro-truth pledge. This is another reason why we want as many people as possible to sign the pro-truth pledge so we have that audience base and provide the impetus for to hold pledge takers accountable for public figures. Yeah, engage at the grassroots level so exactly. that when you find out that your senator or your congressperson has not been truthful, then then you get an alert and you find out, hey, wait a second, I, I don't like that. My senator's exactly. pants are on fire and I'm going exactly. to let him know that I'm not yeah. okay with that. And you'll know that this has been very thoroughly investigated. If your senator or congressperson has taken the pro-truth pledge and they have been approached a number of times to take back that piece of misinformation, so it's not like they didn't have many chances to retract it. When you get an action alert, you can be sure that this is a big problem, that it's not light. Yeah, so <laughs> it's your sources are not fake news outlets. No, no. We only look at the most credible fact-checking websites uh-huh. to evaluated. And uh, by credible fact-checking websites, some people want to know this, we're only working with fact-checking websites that Facebook uses for its fact-checking news program. And Facebook has the resources to make sure that the websites it works with are very high quality and has high financial interest in doing so. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Facebook has actually been fairly responsible in monitoring the information that is passed around. I mean, there's only so much they can do, but they've at least made some efforts. Yes. Uh, recently, after the election, yeah. I think that they have been quite slack on when they have should have started their fake news program. I think yeah. they should have started a couple of a couple of years ago, as opposed uh-huh. to about six months ago. But after the election, <laughs> yes, that's quite unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. So I think it should have started it much earlier. And that um, really could have changed the course of the election. So, for example, a research shows that in Facebook, in the three months before the election, the top 20 news stories that were shared were fake news. Compared to the top 20 real news stories, the top 20 fake news stories sharing outperformed the 20 real news stories. Wow. The 20 fake news stories were shared something like 8 million times, uh-huh. and the top 20 million real news stories were shared something like 7 million times uh-huh. So on Facebook. And something that, that people don't know about Facebook that is sort of horrifying is there are really very advanced algorithms that steer news stories towards people that will be receptive to that kind of material. So if you use a word in a post or like something and it you know it triggers 
okay, we will steer traffic about Hillary Clinton or about Donald Trump, either pro or against, to that person. This is true. That's one thing is the natural Facebook algorithms. Even more insidious is how the Trump campaign has used the Facebook algorithms to its advantage. So, for example, during, and this is publicly reported information that the Trump campaign chose to share, it was using Facebook to essentially engage in voter repression against Hillary Clinton. So, for example, it made, and this is public information the Trump campaign shared in the Bloomberg Businessweek interview, that they made ads that said, let's say, Hillary Clinton thinks that all African-Americans are super predators, which yep. she doesn't. And then they specifically targeted those ads to African-American women and men in swing state districts. Yeah, and it was really pinpoint targeted down to the district level. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was something that they that the Trump campaign was very successful in doing. It's not something that the Hillary Clinton campaign did. And then when you look at the voting results, you can see that the, the, the demographic groups that the Trump campaign targeted with these messages were quite a bit less likely to vote for Hillary Clinton. And that's that's what happened. So they were quite successful in their targeting, using Facebook to target people. Uh-huh. And that there's no other way to describe that but voter suppression. Oh, yes. I mean, the Trump campaign itself said that they were engaged in voter suppression efforts. Uh-huh. This is not this is not something that they were hiding. Yeah. They said this. <laughs> yeah. I'm just shaking my head and I'm I have to ask you how in the world did we arrive at a point where we have to call out our leaders, our elected officials like 3-year-olds? Because, you know, that's that's how they're acting. You know, this is what, you know, most of the members on the the Hill, both parties deserve a timeout. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, Jennifer. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate situation, but it's one that reflects the fact that we are very vulnerable to deception through social media. So research on social media shows that people are really unable to tell the difference on online media and social media between advertisements and real content. So for example, there have been studies of pretty savvy people, high school students, middle school students, college students, when they go to a website, about 80% can't tell the difference between sponsored content, advertisements, and actual content. So if a campaign places a news story as sponsored content, on a website like, let's say, CNN or Slate or Fox News or New York Times, then people who visit that website won't be able to know whether, or most people, 80%, won't be able to tell the difference. That's on websites. Now, on social media, the same study, this is by Stanford University, showed that many of the study participants evaluate the quality, uh, credibility of a Facebook post, not by who shared it, by by the size of the graphic picture. So if the graphic is large and you know attractive, then they are more likely to believe the story. That's one. They also don't know that the blue check mark next to the Facebook indicates that this is a credible organization and the actual organization. So they can get confused between, you know, let's say ABC News with a blue check mark and ABC.co news or something yeah. like that. 
and they think, oh, you know, both are ABC News, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that the pro-truth pledge is meant to prevent. One of the things that it asks people to do is make sure to fact-check your sources, to commit to fact-checking your sharing information. And this is meant to address the widespread sharing of fake news. Yeah, uh-huh. which is so important. And you talked about how it contributed to potentially our, our election results. Are there any aspects of fake news that impact women and girls disproportionately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so fake news tends to be shared by males and you know younger males disproportionately. A lot of it is misogynistic. And it's associated with many conservative websites. So conservative websites have dominated the fake news sphere. So if you compare the number of conservatives who have shared fake news compared to the number of liberals in the three months before the election on Facebook, conservatives' fake news has been shared, conservative meaning pro-Trump and Hillary, Uh shared something like 30 million times. And uh, Hillary, favorable anti-Trump, has been shared something like 7 million times. So a lot of the stuff that gets shared by conservatives also tends to be misogynistic, not simply because it's anti-Hillary, but because that's the way that the websites tend to lean. Uh They promote traditional role models. They promote male dominance. So fake news sharing definitely tends to promote misogyny in our society. Uh So this is a problem, and this is one of the aspects of the pro-truth pledge is meant to address. By addressing fake news and lies and deceptions, one of the things that helps address is misogyny. And this toxic masculinity, which is is so extremely dangerous. And we kind of gloss over, uh, you know, it's become a buzzword now, but it's extremely dangerous in what it can lead to. It is. One of the things that's really problematic about this toxic masculinity is this image of a strong male figure who is strong because he doesn't change his mind and he just keeps being the strong leader. Whereas in reality, a strong leader is one or the best leader, let's say that way, is one who when he or she gets more information, they change their mind and update their beliefs about reality. But such a leader is seen as less masculine and more feminine, more of the listening and community-oriented leader as opposed to a leader who is just strong and powerful and will take us through this tough times. And that tends to lead to, unfortunately, authoritarianism. Now, we in the United States have not really uh, had an authoritarian leader who has taken us to that realm. I mean, Nixon was a little bit there, but not, not nearly as bad as the current leader. And there have been so many leaders in other states that have taken their states to authoritarianism. If you think of Vladimir Putin, you know, people like that in Erdogan and yeah. Turkey, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, there have been plenty of democracies that have become authoritarian states. And I can name many others. Yeah. And they have started with this culture of toxic masculinity and lies and deception as associated with it as a crucial aspect of what eventually led to an authoritarian state. So this toxic masculinity is definitely conducive to authoritarianism. And the pro-truth pledge at protruthpledge.org is meant to address that, is meant to contribute to a culture of equal tolerance, mutual respect, and honesty, and integrity, and fight against toxic masculinity, as well as lies and deceits in general. Yeah, wow. I just 
keep having these facepalm moments. I, I just can't even, I mean, we're here. They say that, that we're using dog whistle and, and you know, we're, we're over inflating the, the risk. But I think that a dystopian world is not that far away from where we are right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's not a that far away. I mean, considering what we're seeing in the news right now about the FBI agent getting fired and all that, and this is leading leaning in that direction. Uh-huh. So the question is, are we just going to stop here and let it happen as it happened in many other states, or are we going to do something about it? And the Pro-Truth Pledge Project is specifically intended as an easy thing you know, taking three minutes to take the pro-truth pledge at protruthpledge.org is an easy thing. Uh-huh. And there are many other things that you can do using that. That helps you differentiate between who is truth-oriented and who is lying and advance the role of truth and honesty and integrity in our society and fight against the potential of the dystopian future, this toxic masculinity and authoritarianism. This is essentially tilting the floor toward truth instead of lies, incentivizing, helping us differentiate between the truth tellers and the liars and helping reward truth and punish lies, which is what research and behavioral science shows we need to do in order to achieve this goal. Now, this is how the female empower movement, movement started, by getting people and rewarding them for being oriented toward female empowerment. This is how the civil rights movement started for black people, rewarding people, differentiating the ones who are supporting civil rights for black people and rewarding them and punishing those who didn't. This is how the environmental movement started, rewarding people who are oriented toward environmentalism and punishing ones who aren't. It's very unfortunate. I am sad. I am despondent that we need to have a movement, pro-truth movement, to differentiate and say these are the truth tellers and reward them. It wouldn't be nice if we didn't need to have it, but unfortunately we do. Yeah. So this is where we come. We have come to as a society, and we need to get out of the spot. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you're absolutely right, and I think that it's important that we all do a, a gut check and own up to, yeah, this is where we are, and we all need to be involved. Democracy, I say, is a verb. Democracy is not something that happens once every four yeah. years. We need to hold our leaders accountable, and we need to hold them to a higher standard. And so I applaud you for putting together this effort, protruthpledge.org. So please go to that website and sign up, and we will work towards holding our leaders accountable for being truthful. I would like for our leaders not to have their pants on fire. Um. (laughs) Me too, too, Jennifer. And I hope you, as someone who has a public impact, you're a public figure as well, because if you do this podcast, I hope you sign it too and indicate that you're a public figure, because that's one of the things we want to do, have leaders, but also public figures who are voices, journalists, media figures, radio show hosts. I hope you take the pledge as well. And, you know, I know that you are already true for you and then you'll help get this movement rolling. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I, I intend to. So I thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. And I thank you really for your important work. It's unfortunate that we need it, but it's fortunate that we have people like you that will stand up and say, this is not okay. And I'm going to do something about it. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was a pleasure to be on.
this week, instead of an individual, we would like to honor the Pulitzer Prize winning website PolitiFact in our spotlight. PolitiFact staff research statements made by politicians and public figures and rate them on a truthometer from true to false to the lowest rating of pants on fire. In a time when the importance of this work cannot be overstated, we thank PolitiFact for their invaluable contribution. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. A big thanks to Dr. Gleb Sapersky for speaking with me for today's episode. And to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.